Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the End of Cells podcast. I hope you're all well who's listening. My name's Stephen, the host of End of Cells, and I'm joined by two show regulars, Anthony and Francis. How are you both? Yeah, all good, Stephen. Very all good, good, mate. Very good. Um, glad to be back on. It feels like it's been a while. Uh, we've just been, it's been one thing after another with the house at the minute. Uh, started a new job as well, so it's been pretty mental. So, yeah, can't wait to get back on and just uh, talk about Celtic for a nice wee change. Yeah, 100%. I think as we explained last week in the podcast, there's been so much going on in terms of everyone's <laughs> working lives and we've all been in the chat back and forth, who can make it, who can do this and everything's at such short notice. But thankfully, we've got a new schedule for the new month and we're ready to go now. Basically, we went into this Aberdeen game at Audrey on the back of the 4-0 loss at home against Barrett Everkusen and we're all pretty downhearted. The next day, obviously, our podcast was released and we got a wee bit of feedback from that and things from our regular show comments on YouTube and things like that. And one thing I took away, especially looking on the Twitter scope, Anthony, was people kind of worrying getting into this Patodra game. Not necessarily if we're going to lose, but just dropping points in general. That seems to be the whole the whole manner of things that Celtic at the minute with the defensive issues. And as we'll touch upon later in the show, the, the goal we conceded from a set piece again. It just, it's all suspect. But getting into this game, Anthony, Patodra, were you... A wee bit pessimistic of what the result could actually turn out to be. I think, regardless of how good or bad Aberdeen are, are playing at any given time, or how well or bad we're playing, it doesn't really matter to be honest. Because going up to Petodre historically for Celtic has always been a very tough venue to go, regardless of uh, previous forum. And there's no getting away from it. Uh, Stephen, our previous forum in the weeks leading up to the match um, hasn't been great, um, especially away from home. Um, and obviously, there's been a, you know, we could all discuss all sorts of reasons for that. But at the end of the day, it's a results driven business. And um, we had to go up there with the sole aim of not falling any further behind um, going into the international break because it would just, it would just leave a, a massive cloud over the, the sort of, the club for two weeks before until we get back to domestic action after the game after the game so going up there it was a sort of you know high noon uh with high stakes really and Oko will discuss later on in the in the, the show that it was certainly not a, a classic it was certainly not a performance for the ages um but at the end of the day it's a much needed uh 2-1 victory away from home against Aberdeen which uh, to sort of use a healthcare phrase, we've sort of stemmed the bleeding with the, the sort of poor forum away from home uh, in the last few weeks, and we've got the monkey off our back with uh, with getting that away win. So something tangible to build on after the international break. Yeah, I mean you're right there. A classic, it wasn't, but it was a must-win game. And already Francis were in these type of scenarios as Celtic supporters, where every game now is a must-win. And to be fair, every game Celtic must win, but even more so that kind of the start that Anthony alluded to this season, we've kind of fell further and further behind the league, and it was important to get that victory, which we did, and we won 2-1. But before we get into the game, uh, Francis, just one of your thoughts, Clint, over the weekend. Were you, were you a bit nervous, pessimistic, like I said, Anthony? Well, before I start, can I just say a massive congratulations to a guy that me and Ross know well who listens to the show, Peter McGarty, who got married at the weekend. So I know he'll be listening when this goes out. So congratulations once again, mate. But anyway, yeah. any on the game, I was a wee. You were a wee bit worried just simply because of the form and stuff hadn't been great. Like say it goes back to well domestically in the league. Anyway, it goes back to what was it Valentine's Day or something away from home before we recorded the victory. So 
you have also got you've got that all that looming over you and stuff, but it was like Anthony says, it wasn't a was it a great performance, but it showed that we can win ugly. And I think that says more about it than a lot. It's everybody was saying Postacoglu needs to do this, he needs to do that. He can't he can't win ugly, he can't do this and he just showed that he can win ugly. I don't think you, you never intentionally I don't know if you, you don't obviously set inten- out intentions to play a game out in that manner and stuff, but I think it'll give Postacoglu some confidence, it'll give the players confidence, hopefully, that they see that they can they can dig in and they'll get the reward. So yeah, well, as I say, it wasn't. I, I was looking forward to the game because you always look forward to sales the game, but it's at parts of the game it was getting worrying. But I, I think it, the manner of the victory with being an ugly one could be a big telling point for us. And we've had moments in the our recent history, like Dyla, Rogers. We always seem to get a wee sort of a turning point up at uh, Pretoria, a win sometimes when we need it, and it just seems to be a turning point, so fingers crossed this could be post the we turning point. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that later in the show about the likes of them, former managers. <laughs> Games already kind of took the words out of my mouth there, Franny, but <laughs> like, you, you got Ronnie, that was the birth of the Ronnie Roar, but Toddy, wasn't it? Brendan Rogers yeah. got a victory up there in one of the league campaigns, and actually so did Neil Lennon as well, you mm-hmm. remember him over to celebrating with the fans, it was a, a crucial victory at that time, Anthony, but we'll, we'll take a wee look at the game itself now, but 1-2-1 Kyogo for Hasi and Felipe Jada got the goals and Lewis Ferguson got the goal for Aberdeen. But let's touch upon Celtic's performance first. Now, it wasn't a classic and I remember at halftime typing into the, the group chat that I did think we were awful, honestly. And I didn't see anything in regards to the attacking sense, the pressing. I just thought we were a bit laboured. But we managed to dog out the, the win. And as, as Francis says, Postacoglu showed we can win ugly, which is something I want us to keep and maintain, especially getting into Motherwell after the national break as well. But looking at the goals, Kyogo's goal, Anthony, and it was a kind of audacious finish, wasn't it? Like a, a chest of finish. And what what was your opinion of his impact in the game and his importance to the Celtic team? Well, I think you even seen the impact he can have just when he came back on Thursday night. I mean, I know it's, it's, it's sort of fizzled out a little bit. He's obviously still not fully, 100% fully recovered from his injury, but... It's just that little bit of energy and buzz um, he caused by Leverkusen, no sorts of issues, um, all sorts of problems. Sorry, um, at the on the match on Thursday night, and he again he, he did sort of tail off a little bit, and obviously the game had uh, got away from us. But yesterday was was much the same. He was always looking for the ball. He just gives you that little bit of energy that but other uh, opposition players just don't know what to do with him. They don't want. Did they come short? Did they hold up and fall? But when he can, or he, which and then can create the issues of him running at you. Yeah, and he's so intelligent. Um, his off the ball movement is is frightening to watch at times. It really is. He's just, uh, he's, it's just. Um, I've got everything crossed over this international break that he doesn't pick up any other um, injuries um, over in Japan. But the the first goal was just it was so symbolic of everything that he's done since he's came to the club. It's just that improvisation, any other player would try and put that in with his head and potentially, you know, hurt himself with his boot or, you know, it would end up going too close to the keeper. He just coolly slots it home with his chest away from the keeper, giving him absolutely no chance. And um, yeah, after that, he, he sort of huffed and puffed, didn't quite get the the, the final break of the ball. Um, but yeah, it, I, I think just having him back in the team will be 
massive for us going forward because, like you say, Stephen, after the international break, we've got a series of, there's a few tough away games coming up as well, but the, this really has to be the period in the season where we put together some sort of run um, that can sort of keep us, you know, well within range or, or, or going, in, going into that second derby uh, at Christmas time. We really, and that's what I was saying yesterday, we, it really, we couldn't have afforded to go any further behind uh, because that was what we were guilty of last season. Uh, October, November, the season just ran away from us. Um, so, yeah, it's it, yesterday was a massive, massive result. And as I say, but it's, it's, it's only going to be a big result if we build upon it. And, and having Kyogo back, I think, um, will definitely help us in that respect. Yeah, I think it's important. As, as you said, this time last season, October, November, we were absolutely awful. And up until the game there against Aberdeen, I think we were on a, a run of uh, two wins in eight games, which again, obviously, is a shambles for a club like Celtic. And even though we're in obviously transition, Franny, you still expect to win, win these games. We should be strong enough, no matter what, to beat most teams in the SPL. But as Alfley said about Kyogo, his, his movement, and sometimes I think his movement takes our players out of the game because they're not expecting him to make them runs. But I want to give a, a shout-out as well to the guy who assisted him for that goal, was David Turnbull, across on the right-hand side. Franny, what, what did you think about Turnbull's performance? And it's, I mean, apart from that, maybe nothing of note, but did you think without Rogers, he had a wee bit more freedom because... What it's looked like in the last couple of weeks is them two getting each other's way quite a lot. Uh, yeah, well, we've been saying it in the, the group chat as well. I don't think Rogic and Turnbull work well in the same team. It's it's kind of going back to last. It's getting all the number 10s in the team and stuff. But for me, it has to be one or the other. And I think it showed the midfield, although beat on, I can't say that put a foot wrong, well, up until... Scott Brown won that hit. Uh, up until the goal, sort of, for the Aberdeen goal, he was actually having a really good game, but after that, he seemed to sort of falter a wee bit and fade out of it. But I think him being in there and McGregor and uh, Tumble, it was a more balanced midfield for me. It looked a lot comfier. Rogic seemed happy, uh, sorry, Beaton seemed happier just sort of sitting in front of the defenders, which helped Starfield and uh, Carlton Vickers a wee bit. But um, I think, as like you said, Tumbles Tumbles cross. He's he's done well. Like he's done really good to take the shot, the quick uh, throw in, and a nice wee one, quick one two, and it's an absolute great cross for the goal. You, you can't take anything away from him. And Tumble has got that in his locker. He's just not really shown it enough this season, consistently enough. But for me, the, the midfield, I think that midfield suited Callum McGregor really well. Uh, he looked a lot comfortable. With, like a number six and a number ten and and there I thought. So I think going forward, I think obviously McCarthy would be for everyone the ideal solution in with Beatonas, but I don't think it's uh is it sorrow. But I think we I think you need a Beaton or a, a McCarthy in there to help your tumble and your rockets to to perform better because it gives them more more freedom going forward and stuff and to play to kind of play where they find themselves without worrying what's too much what's behind them. Yeah. I'm actually glad you brought Beaton up and talk about the midfield for a second, hopefully. Beaton comes in again. To many people's probably surprised. Got the likes of Sorrow, James McCarthy coming back from injury. Maybe time to give him minutes, but he put his trust in Beaton in there. And I think Francis makes an excellent point. Cal McGregor seemed better suited to the number eight rule in terms of a box to box midfielder. And we've seen him in, in the box for attacking situations, which I think we've been missing out on because. McGregor, for me, adds an awful lot closer 
to the goal that we're shooting in. Now, touching upon Beaton, Anthony, I, I was texting Ryan last night, another member of the podcast group who does the rewinds with myself, and I said to him, our best midfield at the moment, probably not on paper, but in terms of fitness ways, would be Beaton, Cal McGregor and Turnbull. On that performance in Pataudry, especially for Beaton, it's hard to disagree with that, isn't it? Yeah, I think we've, we've been so used to seeing Neil Beaton out of position at centre-half over the years. We actually forget he is actually he was actually bought as a midfield player. So he was actually playing in a, a far more natural position. And yeah, like you say, I, th- I thought he had a good game yesterday. I, g- I agree with Francis, although he, he did allow himself to um, fall foul to some of Bruni's sort of <laughs> antics, shall we say, um, which surprised me because I thought if there's a p- different, perhaps if it was a, a player who wasn't used to training with, with Scott Brown all those years. But yeah, um, Bruni sucked him in good and proper um, a couple of times. But all, overall, I thought, I think certainly in that position, I think he is more disciplined than Sorrow. Um, I, I can't remember, I think, was it Gary Neville that once described David Luiz as a, a PlayStation sort of player? I, I, Sorrow reminds me of that as well. I, I, I don't <laughs> think Sorrow has got any on-field positional discipline. Um, and I, he's, he's really, for me anyway, has flattered to deceive um, since the, his initial sort of little purple patch last year. Um, I, I, I certainly would feel more comfortable, especially away from home, with a beat on at the, at, as you say, playing behind McGregor because it allows McGregor to be that little bit more sort of creative. Because and, and we all know how wonderful a player going forward that Callum McGregor can be. Um, he's probably been asked, sort of perhaps last season, season before by Neil Lennon, and even before that under uh, Brendan Rodgers to sit back in a little bit to allow the likes of your your Armstrongs or your Ryan Christies to get forward, but. As we can all remember, I mean that invincible season when he was all given a it sort of broken and really established himself in the team. Um, he was a revelation up front, um, sort of further up the pitch, and then in the the double treble one in year as well, he was absolutely magnificent. So hopefully we'll see more of uh, from that from Callum if um, if and that may allow Beaton to be a little bit more uh, a little bit more of a you know frequent in the team. Yeah, I mean, come to yourself, Franny. Would would you keep Beaton in? Would you keep the midfield the same for the upcoming games, all being injuries and internationals, duty? Yeah, I think you have to. Going on what we've seen seen yesterday, as I say, I think the idea would be for McCarthy to go there, but I can't I can't see any reason why uh, Beaton should be out of the team. But I would prefer actually slating the guy after I'm having a decent performance. I don't. I'm hoping. You just get by with him till January. Maybe I think Beaton's performance might show that we actually need somebody in there, like a sort of a defensive central midfielder. But yeah, as going forward in the next up and coming games, I, I think you've got to play Beaton in there. Yeah, I mean, I think Beaton is everyone's weapon boy, isn't it? And we, I mean, on this podcast, ah. we haven't been shy and calling Beaton out. I, I personally think if we sign the right players and Got Postacoglu's players in the Beaton won't be around much longer. That should have been a year, maybe two years ago. But he's that utility player that kind of gets called upon when we're in desperate need. And that seems to be every season, especially at the start. But <laughs> the Aberdeen and the goal that we conceded, Francis, I come to yourself first here. Now, there was times in the match, obviously, that were threatening, especially the set piece scenarios. Bernie got a header, Joe Hart made a good save. 
the, the big lad up front, Christian Ramirez, causes a lot of problems as well. I actually thought he was quite good. Maybe a bit more pacey would be excellent. But coming to the goal, we can see that Lewis Ferguson, who I had a, a chat with the, the Ross in the last podcast with, I believe, and I said I thought he was a good addition to the Celtic team, regardless of any connection he has with Rangers or family members, that type of thing. I just think he had something, and he did the set pieces, which I talked about previously, and he scored from it, albeit he hit off his shoulder. And one thing that's bugging me about the goal, uh, Francis, why did Joe Hart not just clear out Montgomery and get that ball away? Uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing, is it? But before I start, I, I think it's uh, 10 of the best headers on the ball and, and the penalty error, and we still win the scores. We've, we are horrendous at set pieces, let's be honest. So I would take nothing away from Lewis Ferguson scoring and putting him in the Celtic team and thinking he's got to score for set pieces. Every team in the world's better at set pieces than Celtic. It's ridiculous. But yeah, I think Joe Hart's probably looked at that and then said, I really should have cleaned out my the my player because and then it's same with Montgomery, like Montgomery's you argue you go, why is not we not got anybody in the post and we had something in the post and I think what's done Montgomery is he's jumped forward as opposed to straight up. It looks like he's actually ducked out the way. Like, he's obviously jumped, but it looks like he's ducked. But I think it's just the way he's jumped, he's jumped forward. And Hart obviously thinks he's going to get it, as you can see. But I think next time that happens, Montgomery's got to be getting wiped out anyway. So it was just one of the, not a freak goal, but it was it was one where Joe Hart thought the defender had it covered, but in... And hindsight, obviously, he's probably didn't go, that is my ball every day of the week. I should have just been cleaning out everybody to get there and unfortunately didn't. So it's it was just one of the ones, Stephen, like, I mean, it was another set piece that Celtic seemed to concede from. But I think, yeah, Joe Hart probably looked at that and said, that's kind of my fault. I should have probably been cleaning everybody out to come and collect that. Yeah, I mean... I think you make a great point there. Obviously, he's probably looked back in that clip and he's went, why haven't it just took his head off and took the ball mm-hmm. as well? But again, as you said, maybe Montgomery's missed time to jump and jumped actually out of position from the post he was at and ended up in the six-yard uh. box. Coming to yourself, Anthony, in regards to the set-piece goal and the, the Achilles heel that Celtic have with set-pieces, as Francis said, we could have the best headers in the world in our team and probably still concede and not, and not score from a set-piece. It just seems to be Celtic's downfall in every type of game. And we can see that the trademark go into the box, bang, loops over the defender. And at that moment, you're fearing the worst of it, especially if you're the run we're on. You're kind of looking at the players, hoping their heads don't drop, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our records at set pieces, like you say, um, in terms of defending them and in terms of uh, you know trying to you know create a goal out of them, is is absolutely woeful and it, it long precedes um, or predates even you know Neil Lennon's return. That this goes way back to I would even say beyond uh, Rogers, uh, Brendan Rogers' mm-hmm. tenure as well. Um, it is so you're looking at a compl- a whole different range of players and and sort of sort of formations and setups and and marking ideas, and it just seems to be time and time and time again that. It's almost like they're scared of the ball um, when the ball's in the air. And it's like, it it can't be rocket science to just clear your lines um, or attack a ball and, and hope for the best. I mean, I remember, we can, we can all remember the Martin O'Neill era. I mean, when you got a corner uh, back in those days, it felt like getting a penalty. Um, uh. It was just the, 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 the sheer um, strength 
or and, and sort of physical presence that um, the O'Neill team had um, was incredible. And to be fair, I, I can remember us also being pretty threatening for set pieces under uh, Gordon Strachan as well. But it just seems ever since then our inability to defend set pieces properly is um, is schoolboy stuff. And uh, yeah, I don't think there's any getting away from it as as much as uh, Montgomery was on the post and it, you know he you know like he perhaps mistimed his header. Um, that is a, a goalkeeping error all day long. Um, it it does not matter what what you you think may happen. Anything that looks like it may be falling in your area, and it's not even like he has to worry about giving away a penalty or anything like that because there's there's no Aberdeen player near him. Um, if it means the young young Montgomery having to take a sword one, then so be it. Because you've got to keep that ball out the net at, at all costs. I mean, like you say, it, it, it's hitting off guys' shoulders now and going in the net. That's that is how appalling um, our, our um, sort of record is at defending set pieces, and it's uh, something that's got to improve uh, very quickly. Yeah, I mean, there's one thing I want to touch upon, obviously. The back four yesterday was Ralston, Starfeld, Carter Vickers and Montgomery. Now, albeit the two fullbacks are quite young and experienced and Starfeld with Brung and Francis. And again, I'm not pigeonholing Starfeld here. I'm really not. I think he's starting to come on the A game. He's starting to gain a bit of confidence. But when I seen Johnny Hayes out muscling, I'm just still a wee bit tiny concerned about Starfeld. Would you, would, what, what would you say about him at the minute? I don't, I don't know. I don't, the jury's out. I mean, I thought he was coming on again, but the big boy Ramirez, I've not seen enough of Aberdeen. I don't know if he's been doing that with every defender, but he looked comfy as anything against Starfield. Just, he rolled him every opportunity he had. It was, Starfield, for me, just gets too tight all the time, and any striker worth his weight and salt, just he'll roll him. They want, you want him up there, but I just find it's like, there must he must be a player. I feel like I'm going to, we're going to end up with this Barkas carry on with him. We all said there must have been a player in Barkas considering his fee and etc. But like he didn't play for the teams. Like he didn't play in Russia at Ruben Kazar and stuff. Sweden and that. There's no got something about it. But it just it doesn't look comfy in this sort of ball playing centre half. But a bit of that could be down to guys like Montgomery and Ralston who I don't want to slate because. They are, they are doing a decent enough job, but I feel like they're exposing the centre half too much and stuff. They're not really given the options. I, I think Montgomery's better going further up the park. I don't know if he's suited to a sort of left back type role. But yeah, th- for me, Starfield, the jury's still out. And f- Julian can't come back quick enough. And for me, I would put Welsh in next day, uh, Carter Vickers, but I don't. I can't remember if I said it on the group chat or not, but uh, I just think Starfield plays in front of Wilson now because he's Postacoglu's signing and it'll not look good in the manager if one of your biggest signings of the summer is sitting on the bench and a youth player's taking it up. But it shouldn't look, it shouldn't go down to things like that, but we're no daft. This is, this is how things work at times and that because you're the, the big name signing, I feel like you, you'll play before a, a an academy boy. I mean... Is it a case, Anthony, as, as Francis said, Julian comes back, Starfield's on the bench, do you think? Uh, it, it may well be, although it's funny that obviously we're using you know, Julian's the, the sort of player that's still to come back. 
when Julian first arrived, um, also you know, out with um, Edward, he's our record signing, seven million, and um, I can remember being at a few games at the start of uh, Julian's sort of tenure. Uh, especially there was a League Cup tie at home to Dunfermline. I don't know if anyone that was there will remember that day, and he was horrific. I mean, it was it, it was up there with one of the worst centre half performances I've ever seen. And you you are sort of sitting there worrying, you know, who ha- this guy is not going to adjust. Um, and obviously we had an old Firm game coming up um, a few weeks um, after that match, and you were going into that match against, uh, you know. Morelos, Kent, etc. And you think, I mean, this guy could have a, a real torrid time. Um, I think it was ball and goalies first year as well. So we, you know, we were going in there fearing the worst. And then the player that always, that we thought or hoped was in there started slowly but surely to come out. Um, I think he sort of endeared himself to us that day by, you know, his absolute, you know, he, he bossed Morelos that full game and, and wound him up. Um, you know, you know, he says, longer, as long as I'm on this pitch, you ain't scoring, that, all that mm-hmm. kind of chat. And we fed off that. But then, again, just before October, going into the international break, he was absolutely bullied by Lyndon Dykes right. um, down at Almondville. Um, and it wasn't until after the, the autumn international break that he really started to find his feet. He obviously started uh, scoring goals as well up the other end of the pitch. Um, so he was a real hazard uh, for defenders um, as you know, going forward from set pieces as he was uh, sort of defending his own 18 yard line, and that it was that period bes- between the autumn and Christmas where he, he sort of really, you know, he, he, he really cemented himself and he cut out a lot of those silly errors. So I am hopeful that Starfelt sort of follows that same path because, yeah, like you say, he, he's sort of the the kind of whipping boy at the minute because he is. He is involved in a lot of mistakes at the back, um, which is sort of sometimes overshadowing some of the good stuff that he does. You know, I've, I've, I sit um, in the main stand at Parkhead and it's right sort of on line with where the, the sort of back four will line up when they're sort of Celtic are further up the pitch in the first half. And you, you do see him talking to the, the young guys at the back, whether that be it was Welsh for a while or, or the young fullbacks. He's a, a very communicative uh, centre half. He's always talking, um, but I, I don't know if it's maybe that case of you know perhaps just trying too hard or having too much responsibility at the time, um, given the, the sort of average age of our back four. But I'm hopeful that after the international break, that that hopefully settles down a little bit because he's he's needing a, a run of a few good performances. I think. Um, just to, to set him down because I, I totally agree with you guys. He's, his nerves look pretty short at the minute, and it, it just seems to, he's going almost going through that phase that um, uh, it was the the young boy we got for Dundee, Jack Henry. Aww. He went through a phase like that where it was just it, even it, it, you you could tell that the head never went down. He was constantly trying, but he just always seemed to be involved in a mistake that led to a goal, and that can be. You know, fatal for uh, defenders, especially at a, a club as big as ours. So, hopefully, after the international break, um, he'll sort of find his feet and he can sort of be more comfortable in his own skin. Yeah, and neither likes of Jack Henry are putting in man of the match performances in the Champions League against Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Less, less said about that, the better, isn't it? And 
obviously Starfelt, you said, or he, he talks a lot the players. Maybe he's telling, do not pass the ball to me. Don't pass the ball. Perhaps you've not seen that stat that it was like, he's foreseen like ball playing centre half, so he was up there as uh, in the top five, I think, in Russia. That's just... Good. Ah, I, mean, I don't know the standard. I don't know, but do you know what I mean? I can pass the ball to the goalkeeper and get ninety-five percent completion rate. But moving <laughs> on to the last phase of the game, and as with that goal when Lewis Ferguson, most Celtic fans probably went, "Oh no, here we go again." And you're expecting the players' heads to drop Anthony, but they didn't. A few changes was made. Tom Rodgers came on, and by all accounts, his uh, movement has passed to Montgomery. Montgomery's cross ball into the box for Yada outside, and he he finished that really well. Thought that was a great great team move involving them three, and it just shows you as well that our two number tens, uh, Turnbull and Rodgers, had a hand in both of the goals. Albeit Rodgers came off the bench, which I think suits him better that type of role as an impact player, even coming on for Turnbull maybe in future games. But coming at that goal that Jada scored, Franny, I mean Jada, for me, he's probably been along with Kyogo. Uh, Abada, up until the last couple of weeks, he's kind of tailed off a bit, but he's been one of our best performers. Oh, definitely. I keep, I keep telling myself, don't fall in love with a lone player. Don't fall in love with a lone player. Then Jota's came about, hasn't it? It's, the guy, is, he just seems to get it. He's taken everything on his stride. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a Celtic player for me in the fact that he's just a, a wee tricky winger, wants to get it down, wants to run at players. Likes taking on it. He's got a wee trick in him, but then that that goal is, oh, it's just it was great for Rogic. Just we all know Rogic has got that in his locker. He, he doesn't need sixty minutes to get in a game. Rogic can just do that in an instance. And it was the first time in the second half that Montgomery kind of ran beyond. And I think anybody sort of ran ran beyond the Aberdeen sort of defence. sort of two banks eight a four that they kind of had, or the four and the five, and like Montgomery just tried to, just made a run, a, a good run, but not not a, a fantastic run, it was a fairly simple run, and Rogers played that great pass, and then it was a really good pass for Montgomery just in, but how we, George Michael at the back post, just, he's doing everything for us now, I just, I, I really like the guy, then obviously he's cracked the bar earlier on as well, um, I I would just honestly be sweetening up so much and just I would get that six and a half million if that's the, the reported fee I would just be doing everything I can to get this boy signed up to now. Yeah, I think he's cracking. There's a, a lot of people, Anthony, who say maybe tracking back along with a batter. That's kind of the weakness of the game. That's fair enough. But I personally think if Posta Coglu gets his type of players in from back to the middle of the park, the up front, they won't need to kind of worry about tracking back because there'll be energy all over the pitch. And as Franny said, Jada comes along. Much maybe, he's probably a faster version of Patrick Roberts, to be honest, isn't he? He's, he has all them skills and tricks and flicks, and he's got a couple of goals in his locker. And it's brilliant to see a Celtic winger taking players on. I was saying to Magranda Watson, the games he's been involved in. He reminds me a lot of, remember when Aidan McGeady first burst onto the scene? Does fancy fancy footwork, taking players on. The game against AC Milan when he absolutely roasted Maldini. That's what Jada was like against Frimpong the other night. He just took him apart every time he had him faced up one-on-one. But the, obviously the goal goes in, and we touched upon it at the start of the show. We had to dig out that that win. It was it was a it wasn't a classic game, but a win is a win at the end of the day. Three points are on the board. What's your opinion of Jada so far in the Celtic top? Yeah, I've been very impressed as well. And like Francis, if uh, if there's a spare six million kicking about, then I would be straight on the phone call. 
to the hierarchy at Benfica and sort of said, you know, what can we do to make this deal permanent? Um, not just because, you know, it would be a great bit of business uh, for us, um, but I must admit, he does seem to, he seems to have slotted right in. He seems to have had a sort of instant connection and rapport with the club and, and the fans. You know, you've seen the way he celebrated yesterday. It wasn't a sort of, you know, an individualistic sort of celebration. He sort of ran towards the fans, pointing to the badge, sort of, you know, fully emotion. He, he, he seems to just um, get what it's very similar. To, uh, uh, he's got a very similar sort of personality, I feel, to what Michael Lustig had. Just that sort of, he, he, he just got it instantly. And um, yeah, if, if he wants to stay, then I'm sure we would be more than happy to to keep him. But I, 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 like you say, he's a he's a tricky player. He's he's you know he's got all the the skill in the world, but the type of goal that he scored yesterday requires that wee bit of bravery, um, getting in prepared to uh, get hurt by the Aberdeen defenders and and just slot it home, uh, and it's he's given us uh, an absolute massive three points, um, that just makes the the skies that wee bit clearer going into the international break, and hopefully now we can kick on and, uh, you know, start putting a run of games together and uh, sort of push on for the next part of the season. Yeah. There seems to be a common theme in terms of the way Celtic are playing at the moment. I don't know if any of you guys have, have seen this, especially on Twitter, Francis. And as Anthony said there, Jada gave us a, a free points, which we desperately need in this international break. But one thing I do want to touch upon in the whole game in general, Celtic committed 27 fouls in that game. Nine. By the way, I've seen a start about this, and I think... I actually think it was Anthony Haggerty. I caught a bit of their Monday Monday bulletin, and I'm sure it worked out. I fell every eight to nine seconds. Is that a concern, or do you think that's just a part of the way Postecoglou plays? I just well, I fit turning John Tomlinson. I don't, I just I don't know how you can see twenty. Uh, I fell every eight to nine seconds. I mean, I, I suppose you could say it's we're, we're pressing high and try to win the ball back and. These things will happen because if you're pressing high, then generally be attacking players who aren't the best tacklers that come out in the fields. But I mean, I was really pressed high yesterday, so as as a wee bit concerning. Then obviously, I've not really had a chance to sort of look into that to see where the fouls are conceding and stuff. But with your sort of defensive frailties at set places, that as a slight concern if you're conceding some of them in the sort of in your defensive area, but. As a, it was a strange start when you consider how much possession we had and how many fouls we managed to give away. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, did you see that, Anthony, going around, the, the whole foul thing? I mean, 27 fouls, nine, nine, nine seconds a foul. I mean, that, that's mental, isn't it? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just sum it up uh, very quickly, Stephen. Um, Celtic did not commit 27 fouls yesterday. Bobby Madden deemed Celtic guilty of committing 27 <laughs> fouls yesterday. Which is just simply not the case. <laughs> End of story. Case closed then. We'll move swiftly on. Imagine if John was here. Oft. Uh, yeah, oh, I, I think that's why moving that. swiftly. I, I, I'm totally <laughs> in agreement with Stephen there. Moving swiftly on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to the full time celebrations. And obviously, clubs get mocked for going over the top and stuff. But for me, this was a victory that we dug out, Franny and there's players to serve to celebrate with the fans and it was good seeing them go up. That connection's there again. And for basically the best part of the team, also no fans in the stadium, we couldn't celebrate with them. And 
it was great to see the players. And Puzzle Cogley went up and when the cameras panned him, I thought he was going to give it all, yeah, the fist pump and the running. <laughs> oh, I was close to it, I think. What his celebration said to me, now before I say this, I have been frustrated with Puzzle Cogley. I'm not afraid to, lie about, to say that. I've said it in the previous podcast with Ross. I just think sometimes he needs to learn to adapt when situations aren't going well and kind of tweak the team a bit quicker than he usually does around about the 70-minute mark. But what his celebration looked like to me, it was like, keep keep your faith in me. Keep calm. I'm going to see this through. It was just, just it, was, it, it was full of emotion, but not showing it. Do you get what I mean? I do. I think, like I thought, said, it might be his, his turning point, like how previous managers seem to have a wee moment at Aberdeen, a wee result that kind of turns a, turns a season round or endears them more to the, the Celtic fans. But I think as well when you see some of the videos in that on the internet, it's the way the fans reacted to him. Now you're, you were never expecting them to boo him, but I think the fact that the fans cheered and kept him singing, they seemed to get a wee bit louder when he came over. It showed that they... They've got the majority of the fans have still got belief in the guy, so I think he'll obviously take a bit of a bit of confidence for that. Like seeing them going well, I know. Trust me, I've 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 got. I know what I'm trying to do here, and I think obviously the way they celebrated with him will show that he'll be like, well, I, I know I've still got the majority of the fans. That's the main thing. And now, like you say, the way the team celebrated as well. Like there's videos going about, you actually see Callum McGregor when they're winning goal, he pretty much runs towards the Celtic fans as well. And there's obviously Kyogo's one where he just kind of celebrates himself. So I think it showed the way the team celebrated with the fans. Yeah, you can say it's early doors and it might have been over the top, but you sometimes maybe do the, the type of celebrations just to show the fans, keep the fans on side. Then we know, like a lot of the players like your McGregor's, Joe Hart's and stuff, they. They've won. They've won things. They've won big trophies. They know that we've not the performances. The results haven't been good enough. So they'll know how to keep the fans inside. The things you need to do to keep keep fans saying no results like yesterday are but are massive from the context of things. So I I think for everyone it was it was a big result and obviously more importantly it's a big result for Postecoglou. Yeah, I mean you touch upon the the videos doing the rounds on whatever social media platform you're, you're on, Franny. And Anthony, there was a great one uh, going about the Celtic fans were singing, today's the day we finally went away. <laughs> I, think, I think as well, I mean, hats off to them going to them games and singing them songs because Celtic supporters take the mick out of themselves as much as other people yeah, do. And I think it's, yeah. Glad you picked up on that. I think that's what they were, like, it was kind of laughing or so. Because I've seen a lot of folks saying, imagine it's embarrassing singing this. And I think it was actually a great part for the Celtic fans. I think it, is, it just shows you, Anthony, doesn't it? The Celtic fans can see an issue, but I mean, we're the only fans in, in the world that probably turn it around and have a laugh about it, aren't we? Yeah, I, and I, Francis is just na- hitting the nail on the head there. I mean, I, I'm just about old enough to remember um, throughout the the sort of nine in a row years of Rangers in the 90s um, when, you know, we used to, the fans always used to sing, always look on the bright side of life, you know. We've always <laughs> had that sort of self-deprecating uh sort of twisted sense of humor uh, i thought it was absolutely brilliant that song was born i think after their you know very first uh group stage one in the champions league against spartak moscow um mm. you know so but you know we'd, you know, after about seven or eight you know group stage campaigns we finally got a, a win and the following 
uh, weekend we were at home uh, in the league and the I think one 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 just sort of sang that the full game that 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 was pretty much the full uh, sing song and it was and it's, I think it's brilliant like, like you say it's just that sort of it's a bit self deprecating but you know a, a great bit of part and um, but yeah the, the anyone that's been up to Pataudry for an away game will tell you it's one of the best uh, days ah, you can have because you've got it's it's a, it's a you know long journey most of the time on a minibus with the boys um, all sorts of uh, bevy is getting consumed before you go in so you're, you're already in good spirits and if you can factor that in with a, a late winner and a massive game um you know everyone's going to be in good spirits but i frank you you absolutely hit the franco you hit the nail on the head right at the start of this show when you, you said it was very reminiscent of the the match and uh, ronnie Dyla's first season when Van Dyke scored a, a, a sort of winner from a set piece, funnily enough, uh, with a couple <laughs> of minutes to go. And over that side, you know, I think that, like you say, it was the first time Ronnie done the, the roar. And Postacoglu, completely different uh, sort of outward emotion yesterday. It was, you know, it was very, very calm, but just the, the, the small movement of his clenched fist. I, I totally agree, Stephen. I think it was just that, you know, the, the overwhelming majority of fans, although there, there might have been a... A, a few murmurings have, have, have stuck by him and I think he, he it was just to sort of show his thanks for it and sort of as if to say, you know, let's, you know, fasten our seatbelts for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a massive win and I just hope now it's something we can we can build on. 100%. And obviously, after the game, we'll have to look into this international break and key players again have been called up to their team squads. Kyogo's came back from injury and he's straight on the straight into the Japan squad, Francis. And Cal McGregor is I mean, he's an important player for Scotland, but you guys will know more about the Scotland situation than I will. I haven't really been keeping track on it in terms of my personal life, what I've been doing and things I've been doing and working things. But come to yourself, Francis, about the, the international break. Do you think that like Kyogo, Cal McGregor, the players who've been injured, Celtic should have the right and turn around and say, look, Hold off a wee bit here, maybe next time, or do you think that's a bit that would be selfish and leave it up to the player? That would be as to look to try and look at it from a neutral point of view, it would be self esteem because I think obviously we're not professional, but you've got to say out with Celtic, surely playing for your country is the biggest honour that any of us could ever achieve or want to achieve as a football player. So I think in that sense, you've got to say, well, these players will want to play for their, their country. Uh, play for country guys like Carl McGregor will want to play obviously in these these qualifiers and things. So and over in Asia, like teams like Japan, China, they they always seem to they they get well involved in their international football and all the all the guys seem to always want to play and they they do the mileage. It's just accepted that's what they're doing. I don't like would be naive to think that managers aren't don't discuss with international managers or federations I think there will be there'll be conversations there saying look at more so if it's friendlies I would imagine when it's actual competitive games it's probably harder to try and have a wee word in for argument's sake have a wee word in Stevie Clark saying go look just play McGregor in one of the games or whatever it's maybe easier to do that in friendlies than maybe competitive games but I do believe the type of conversations rightly or wrongly do happen and but I can't it's it's one of the things if you're a big club, it's going to have internationalists. It's just it's part and parcel. It's it's what happens there. If you if you're a if you're a team like Celtic, you're playing well, you've got you tend to have a 
internationally sign your team. So it's just one of the ones you've got to kind of take it as a compliment for your team. That if you're getting so many call-ups, you know you're doing something right if a big part of your squad's getting called up. It's just, it's a risky take in. I thought Postacolka's comment about who's saying if, if anybody gets injured, just didn't come back. I thought that was a nice wee comment on it. But it's just I, one of the ones that's, in simple terms, it, you're at a big club. If you're doing well, you've got, it's, you should take it as a compliment. Players are getting called up. Yeah, I mean, it is part and parcel of football. Everyone gets that, Alfie. Mm-hmm. And Francis makes a great point there. A team like Celtic has majority internationals in the team, if not if not sometimes the whole starting eleven play for the respective countries. But I'm coming from more so from the point, Anthony, of Cal, Cal McGregor's coming back from an injury, Kyle's coming back from missing like five games on on the spin. He's only played against Leverkusen and uh Aberdeen at So do you not think maybe there's kind of scope there? Francis did mention it. We a wee conversation in the era of a federation to say, look, this player still come back from injury. Here's his training regime. Stick to it. I mean, the club for me should get say over that. I, I know the national teams have importance in regards to what Francis said. The biggest honour of your life it has to be as a, as a footballer. But coming back from injury, there must be a protocol there, Anthony, to kind of say, look, ease off a bit. And I know I've got the fixtures up here. Scotland are playing Israel in, in a World Cup qualifier, which is going to be an important game. It seems like they're always playing Israel. And then the game after that, uh, Anthony, is the Faroe Islands against Scotland, do you think? It's likely that Callum McGregor will be involved in both them games. Uh, I think there is a very good chance that he will be, and you know, just given Kyogo's status uh, over there as well, I would, I would imagine that he's going to he's going to feature heavily in the Japan fixtures as well. Uh, listen, I, I I totally agree though. I mean, it's from a Celtic point of view, it isn't ideal because, I mean, you think of international, well, you think of football essentially. Um, the clubs essentially, if if, if you think of them as a, a massive company that have splashed out and and spent millions on state of the art equipment, that they then pay huge sums of money to maintain as well as develop, and then every so often uh, a sort of locum company or a travelling company uh, get a loan of your uh, machinery for a few days, uh, and if they do anything to mess it up or anything happens whilst it's under their uh, care. Uh, you're still liable for it when when they return it to you. So it's, I can understand why clubs get frustrated. And you know, as a supporter myself, you know how many times did you used to hear? I mean, Kyogo's is a big example this year, but you remember Tom Rogic getting uh, injured over in uh, the sort of Oceanic Games when he was, a, you know, a massive part. You know, he missed a a really important uh, derby um, due to that. But as as Francis says, the the highest um, the, the most important sort of festival of football uh, on this planet is a World Cup um, or, you know, for, for on our sort of area would be a, a European Championships. Players' uh, careers are short in general, but their international careers are, you know, most of the time even shorter. Um, so they'll they will want to be involved. Um, I, I can imagine Callum McGregor being the type of player he is. He'll be desperate to play against Israel to try and uh, get us that four-point cushion. Likewise, I mean, as, as as Francis alluded to, you know, especially the sort of further east you go, um, playing for your country isn't just an honour. It's almost like a almost like a spiritual duty. Um, it's it's so important to them. Um, so it, I, can, I can't imagine Kyogo 
saying he's you know international manager or you know it's fine I'll sit this one out you know it's football players are desperate to play football it's just one of those things and I totally as, as someone who's desperate for Celtic to get back up to the top of the league where we belong um, I'll be you know I'll have everything crossed for the next sort of 10 days <laughs> and nobody pulls anything up but it's just the the the, the thing is international foot that these qualifiers are the the sort of pathway to the promised land of a world cup and you can't really you can't really criticize football players for wanting to do everything they possibly can uh, to be involved in that yeah you should be a motivational speaker in the scotland dress room Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm going along with uh, i'm going along with the family uh, on saturday night to hamden all four years are going so I, I might not be doing much uh, in a dressing room Stephen, but i'll certainly be doing my best to cheer understand. them on for the stands <laughs> good man, good man. I laughed at the comment where you said uh, international careers are usually shorter than club careers. I, I seen a, a picture doing the rounds the other day of a of a guy. I think he was the president of a of a nation over in the the Concal for the the African Nations kind of play, and he bribed his way into the national team. Fifty two years old <laughs> on the centre circle playing. It's just nuts what people can oh. do when they have. <laughs> just to wrap up the show. It's been a great show so far. I just want to touch upon. Scott Brown. Now, come to yourself, Anthony, first. I mean, seeing him in a red shirt, even before watching the pre-match build-up, uh, what's that interview you done with Stephen Glass? And they both speak very well, to be fair. I think Stephen Glass, if he gets time, probably will do a great job there. But, I mean, it was weird for me seeing him in, in terms of being associated with Aberdeen. And when he came out of that tunnel, I turned around the ground and said, oh, no, here's Scott Brown. <laughs> he does have that look again where he had with us in, in the tunnel. What what was your feeling of him playing in the, in the red shirt of Aberdeen? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's as we say, it's it's a strange one. Most of our you know, sort of adult lives of you know, we're used to seeing Scott Brown uh, in the green and white of Celtic, and you know, it was it was a strange sensation, uh, sort of seeing him as an opponent. Um, but like you say, um, from the minute they, he got into the dressing room before the or, or left the dressing room and into the tunnel. Uh, the professional face was on, and that's what you get with Scott Brown. Um, he's a, a model professional. Um, he has been, you know, pretty. I would say pretty much since he joined Celtic, and he, you know, he 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 sort of screwed the nut, and he went on to become one of the you know most influential captains um, in our club's history, um, and one of the most decorated as well. Um, I remember when he sort of signed. Um, the news had broke that he was signing for Celtic back in sort of 2007. We actually played, um, it was actually Neil Lennon's final match, uh, final season as a player for Celtic. And uh, the two of them came up against each other at Easter Road. And Scott Brown, who was, you know, weeks away from signing for Celtic, was getting right in Neil Lennon's face, winding up all the Celtic players. I think there's a, a famous uh, quote where he says, you know, he, him and Bobo Baldy went toe-to-toe at one point. Um, and you're like... I always remember being in the pub that day and a few fans were, you know, weren't happy because they're going, oh, you know, he's going to be our teammate in a few weeks or he's going to be one of us. And I just, that, that argument didn't wash with me at all. And I knew it was going to be the same yesterday. The minute Scott Brown uh, gets his game face on, it doesn't matter how many years service he's had with you or how many trophies he's won. He's a professional football player and he is paid now as an employee of uh, Aberdeen and he gave his all yesterday I actually thought he had a very good game and he, 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 he had it not been for Joe Hart would have uh, scored against us um, 
I'm not sure he would have done the Bruni celebration uh, to us. I think he wouldn't have quite went that far, to be fair. Oh, because you imagine uh, yeah, Oh, I know. I know. I know. You almost couldn't have... You, you couldn't sort of blame him if he did, but I no, think I he would probably have just... He would probably have just have had a cheeky grin and, and went back to the centre circle. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Scott Brown's a consummate professional. And, uh, yeah, I just thought... I'm, I'm, I'm glad... I'm glad for him that he's he's, he's still he's still got it, and you know I just hope he. I'm sure he'll put in just as much of an effort, if not more, uh, when he plays those from across the Clyde in a few weeks. <laughs> what about yourself, Francis? Seeing Scott Brown in the red of Aberdeen, I mean, I think Anthony made a great point early in the show. He did. He sucked near Beaton in time and time again, especially a corner kicks him to hammer and tong. But I agree with Anthony when he's in that tunnel. No matter he spent 12, 13 years with a club, five weeks with a club, it's going to be the same face you get, the same professional Scott Brown. And I have to agree, I did think he played a great game. And if he had a scored that goal, it would have just been written in the stars. Like, But thankfully he didn't. Joe Hart was there to make, make the save. But how, what was your feeling towards him in the game, Franny? Well, I think Hanford summed up well just saying he's a professional. He's played by Aber- he paid by Aberdeen and he was doing his job and he done a really good job. And... It's quite funny because I heard them obviously saying on the football uh, that the last time he played against Celtic, obviously excluding yesterday, he actually scored in that Hibs game that Anthony was talking about. So he actually scored against us the last time he played. So it was, like you say, it was almost written in the stars that he was going to score against us. But yeah, it is weird seeing him there, but it did show just show the, the top professional that he is with the performance he put in. Yeah, he was doing a bit of the... The, the shit house there, I feel like, and that would beat on and try to wind some boys up. But that's got Brett. I think that just shows the respect that he's got within the game. That we're not, he's done that against us. He's he's acted like Scott Brown, if you like, as stupid as that sounds, against us. And he's still got the respect of the Celtic fans. So I, I think, obviously, you've got the way he was as a captain for Celtic and how he conducted himself uh, and the whole time that he was at, at Celtic. He's, He's got credit in the bank, if you like, when he when he plays against us. So I don't think any normal, sane-minded Celtic fan was could really have a bad word about his about him, especially after yesterday. It would have been nice for him to maybe have a wee moment with the Celtic fans. I don't know, maybe just out TV and stuff if he maybe managed to get that before the game or after the game. But again, it would not look possibly wouldn't have looked. Uh, very professional if he managed to go over and uh, sort of thank the fans because obviously didn't, he's never had that moment. Maybe he'll get that when Aberdeen come to Celtic. But uh, it was just, it was weird, but also in a weird way enjoyable because it, it showed that he still he still has it. He still, still got a lot to offer a team like Aberdeen and stuff. And so it was it was funny being on the receiving end some he's, he's carry on, if you like. Yeah. And I mean, Brings us nicely to the end of the show. And just one thing I want to touch upon is the Scotland games come up. We did say there against the, the Israel, Israel, the first one in the Faroe Islands. Anthony, you're, you're going to the Israel game, aren't you, with the whole family, as you said. What is, what's the current state of play? What what Scotland need to do in these next two fixtures to stand a chance for qualifying? Uh, well, I, I think as much as we're all, you know, forever optimistic, um, Scotland will not automatically qualify uh, from this group. Uh, Stephen Denmark are just too far in front, and um, it's just it's not feasible that we are going to finish first in the group. Um, so it's all about 
getting that second place, which uh, then takes you through to the, the sort of playoff rounds. Um, unfortunately, we don't have the the sort of luxury, as it were, of a, a sort of one-off, uh, the safety net game, that uh, the playoff that, we, that got us through uh, to the European Championships. But at the moment, we're a point ahead of Israel with the same number of games played. And on paper, shall we say, our running does look a little bit, um, you know, in inverted commas, easier because Israel and Austria, who are the, are our two main rivals in the group, um, still have to play each other. Um, obviously, we've um, played Austria in the last round of fixtures and won. So a win against uh, Israel on Saturday night would put us four clear of them. Um, with them having a, I can't remember who they play on the, on the Wednesday night. It may well be Denmark um, or Moldova, but with the greatest of respect to the Faroe Islands, you have to go over there and win. But it, it, Saturday night is is absolutely vital because um, if we finish in the second place groups, it, it puts us, I think, in the better sort of half of the draw uh, for the potential playoff round, um, which would hopefully get us uh, sort of in the World Cup via the back door. But it's all about getting there. Um, it's been, you know, France 98 was the last time we were at a World Cup. So um, it's long overdue. But the great news is that it's a, a 52,000 sellout on Saturday night. Um, so the place will be absolutely, it's a five o'clock kickoff as well. So a nice early evening fixture. Um, I'm sure the place will be absolutely bouncing. And uh, here's just hoping. Uh, as I say, it's our usual opponents, Israel. I mean, uh, Scotland play Israel more times than Rangers are in court, it seems these days. So uh, <laughs> I think uh, hopefully a big one for Scotland uh, would go down just a treat. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was our Sky Sports News correspondent for Scotland. Thank you, Alfred. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, us guys at NSL's podcast with Scotland all the best. And as you said, France and idea, it'd be great to get another World Cup for Scotland. And who knows, we can take this podcast on the road. dreaming. <laughs> 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 But have you guys Sounds enjoyed like this? A plan to me. Have, have you enjoyed yeah, this podcast? Absolutely, mate. Yeah, it's been great being back on. Uh, like I said, it's been a you know three weeks. It's a long time away for the show, but uh, yeah, it, it's been good talking all things Celtic and Scotland. Absolutely. What about yourself, Franny? Down in London, working hard. Down in London. <laughs> it's been good. It's been good. Ah, it's and it's always good to talk about our winner, especially on our way win. So, yeah, it's been fun, Stephen. Yeah, 100%. And as we said, the, the listeners at the start of the show, we've got a set schedule for this month, so we'll be back regularly. And any updates, we'll let you know on the social media channels in regards to podcasts upcoming and when they go live and stuff on all the on the platforms like YouTube and Spotify and iTunes. So to everyone who's listening, stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail. <laughs>